I once read a story in a book that went kind of like this. There was a story about a pastor, an insecure pastor. He was insecure about the size of his church. He felt like it was too small. And so there was a guy that asked him, hey, how many people go to your church? And the pastor said, oh, between eight and 900 people. And uh, so the guy's like, oh, okay. Well, then later on, that guy that asked that showed up at the church. And he looked around and he counted. And he's like, there's 75 people here. So he went up to the pastor afterwards and he said, why did you tell me there's between eight and 900 people at your church when like, I'm here and I, I counted 75 people? And the pastor said, 75 is a number that's between eight and 900, right? I said there was between eight and 900 people here. And I thought, I thought that was an interesting story and it's always stuck with me because it's a great example of how you can tell the truth and lie, right? That you can technically say true things and yet deceive people with true words, right? You've seen that before? Well, today we're going to move on in our series, Way of Wisdom, going through the book of Proverbs, and we have now come to part 17. And lately what we have been doing, we've been gathering different Proverbs from all around the book of Proverbs and bringing them all together, ones that are all on the same topic, and then preaching sermons from them. Two weeks ago, we looked at Proverbs on the topic of family. Last week, we looked at Proverbs on the topic of pride and humility. And today, we are looking at the topic of talking. Right? What does Proverbs teach about the things that we say? And this is a topic that actually comes up quite a lot in Proverbs. There are bunches of Proverbs on the topic of talking. And one preacher that I listened to, he said um, that this is the topic that comes up the most. I was unable to verify that. But he said this is the topic that comes up the most in the book of Proverbs, aside from wisdom itself. Proverbs is the wisdom book. But when you, aside from wisdom in general, the specific topic that comes up the most, he said, is the topic of talking, and I would believe that. I mean, that, it's a lot. So I read through um, many of them this past week, and one of the glaring things, one of the things that jumped out to me is that there are many warnings in the book of Proverbs about talking too much. There are many times where Proverbs warns us against talking too much, okay? So that's going to be my first point this morning. If we're going to try to summarize what Proverbs says about talking, here's my first point. When in doubt talk less, okay? All other things being equal, when in doubt, talk less. So look at this. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says this, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is wise. Isn't that interesting? When you control your lips, that's considered wise. But if you say a lot of words, right? When you use many words, it's like you're almost going to guaranteed sin, right? When you're using a whole bunch of words. When in doubt, talk less. Proverbs 12, 23 says, A shrewd person conceals knowledge, but a foolish heart publicizes stupidity. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. Did you know that? You can be perceived as wiser than you are just by not speaking. Isn't that incredible? Proverbs uh, 29, 20, look at this one. Do you see a man who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than him. And when you think about what Proverbs says about fools, whew, okay? Proverbs 18, 13, the one who gives an answer before he listens, ever seen that? Ever been there? The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. Proverbs 20, 19 says, the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Proverbs eleven twelve 12 says, whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense, but a man with understanding keeps silent. 
And Proverbs 13.3 says, The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Right? You want your life to be ruined? Open your lips a lot. Right? Wow! When you look at all these Proverbs, I mean, it almost makes you want to never talk again, doesn't it? <laughs> so, why do we have to be careful about what we say? And I think one answer to that is because there are a lot of ways to speak wrongly. There are a lot of ways to use our words in the wrong way. I'm going to give you a list of six of them that I found in Proverbs. Number one, a wrong way to speak, a wrong way to use words. Number one is lying. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are His delight. One way that you can use words wrongly is to lie, to say things that are not true. That's detestable to the Lord. Or look at this next one, uh, Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Right? So a, a lying tongue shows what? Not love, it shows hate. And it's interesting, it says a flattering mouth causes ruin. That can also be translated, I think, a smooth mouth causes ruin. That when you say words that are smooth, when you say words that are the kind of words that somebody wants to hear, and I assume, based on the context, it's words that people want to hear, but they're not true. Like, it causes ruin. Now, I bet there are plenty of people in this room that if I said, is lying wrong? You would say, yes, of course lying is wrong. But flattery? How many of us thought that was a problem, right? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing some of you in this room would be like, yeah, I don't even know. Does that even count as a type of lying, flattery? When I say something to someone that they want to hear, but it's not true, maybe to manipulate them or whatever your motive may be, is that okay? I mean, think about that. There, I think, I bet there is a certain percentage of people in this room that you would say, I don't know if that's a lie. If you say something that's not true, but it's nice, like doesn't that wash out? Like the niceness takes the lie part and you know, makes it like not a sin, doesn't it? A lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth causes ruin. Have you ever done that? Have you ever told somebody something that they wanted to hear wasn't true? Here's a second one. So lying is one way to speak wrongly. Here's a second way to speak wrongly. Bragging. Bragging is a way to use your words wrongly. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. We actually looked at that verse uh, yes, last week when we talked about pride. But look at this one. It says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. I love this proverb. I actually quote it all the time. There is a member of my family who I will not say their name in order to salvage their reputation. But there's a member of my family who brags a lot. And whenever I hear them brag, I say, let another man praise you. And I'm quoting this proverb, and it's because what I think this means is, it is okay for you to be honored, but you don't need to be the one that honors you. You can use your lips to honor other people and trust that God will cause the other people to use their lips to honor you. But you don't need to use your own lips to honor yourself. You don't need to be bragging. All right, so lying, bragging, laziness is the third one. Ways to speak wrongly. Lying, bragging, laziness. Now, you might go, laziness, that doesn't even have anything to do with your words. Yeah, I would agree with you except for this proverb. Look at Proverbs 14, 23. There is profit in all hard work, but endless, what's the word? Talk leads only to poverty. That's interesting. There's profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. Have you ever seen somebody that talks and talks and talks instead of getting to work? Nobody knows this guy? I'm the only one that's ever seen this guy. Come on. 
Yes, you've seen this, right? That you're, that you're sitting there and they, there's work to be done and they've got another conversation they've got to have. We've got to take another break. I think we need to talk about this more. Have you had anybody, like, have you done it? Have you ever had someone say to you, like, stop talking and get back to work? So we got lying, we got bragging, we got laziness, we got harshness is the fourth one, harshness. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Have you seen this one? Oh, yes. We all have. A harsh word stirs up wrath. Have you ever seen a conversation that was at a particular temperature and then somebody just went, and then the temperature of the conversation went way up real fast? And you were like, whoa, I didn't even think that was possible. Have any of you even been the person that did it? Like, you said the really aggressive words, you, you know, and you had excuses and stuff. I didn't sleep and blah, blah, whatever. And, but like, you came out and then whoo, the whole conversation, you stirred up wrath. Has that happened? Yeah, it's a wrong use of words, or at least a foolish use of words, I think is fair to say, right? Harshness. Um, next one is meddling. So lying, bragging, laziness, harshness, meddling is a way to speak wrongly. Look at this one, Proverbs 26, 17. The image in this one is just, it's so good. You'll, you'll see it in your head. A person who is passing by, this is Proverbs 26, 17. I can't remember if I said that. A person who is passing by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his own is like one who grabs a dog by the ears. Can you picture it? Yeah. I mean, what a great verse. Isn't it true that like sometimes you should just mind your own business? Yeah, isn't, that fantastic? isn't it fantastic there's a mind-your-own-business verse in the Bible, right? A passerby who meddles in a quarrel that's not his own, and what does it say? He's like someone who grabs a dog by the ears. What does that even mean? I guess I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it's like you are risking getting bit. Isn't that what happens if you were to grab a dog by the ears? You're risking getting bit. And I think that's what happens when you jump into a quarrel that's not your own. You're then likely to be like, bah, bah, bah. oh, and suddenly you're going to get bit because you jumped into something that was none of your business. And then the sixth one, so lying, bragging, laziness, harshness, meddling, and then the last one for today is gossip. That gossip is a way to use our words wrongly. Look at Proverbs 17, 9. It says, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Haven't you seen this in your life? where someone does something wrong, and instead of going and broadcasting it to everybody out of love for you, they just kept it quiet, right? Whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Now, this proverb, I think, is similar to a lot of proverbs in that not every proverb is for every single situation, for every single purpose, all the time, right? The proverbs are for the situations that they're meant for, right? And not all situations. So when you read this, I don't think you're supposed to go, oh, this means there's every time that someone does something that's wrong, it should be concealed. I don't think that's what the proverb means. No, there are times you've got to call the cops, right? There are times you've got to tell the principal. There are times you've got to report it to your boss or you've got to say whatever the thing is. I don't think this is... With, with Royal Family Kids Camp, lots of times we've talked to the kids about that, that if, you're, um, if, if you're, someone is sexually abusing you, you've got to report it. If they're abusing you, you've got to report it. So I don't think this is saying conceal every single offense. I think the idea is just, and you know this because you've been in these situations where there's a person who is whatever they are. They're rude or they told a lie or they bragged or they did whatever. And you have the option to overlook, you have the option to forgive, or you have the option to go tell everybody about it. Sometimes you even get in a situation where you talk to the person and they say, I'm sorry, and you say, I forgive you. I forgive you, but I've got to go tell 14 of your friends. Right? I've got to do that. Like, if we're, you're, if you're forgiven, but I got, everybody needs to know. 
Look at this, uh, Proverbs 26, verses 20 through 21. This is also a really powerful image. Without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. As charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Isn't that such a powerful way to think about it? That just like you need to keep putting wood onto a fire in order to keep the fire going, gossip is fuel that keeps a conflict going. I'm assuming you've seen this in your life where someone just keeps talking and they keep gossiping and the, and the situation doesn't die down and someone's sitting there going, if they would just stop talking about it, like things could calm down. But they keep stirring it up. And then I want to show you one more. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 17 says, the first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. I think this is such a powerful proverb. It's so practical. It's so applicable to our lives. But I think at first glance, it doesn't look like it's on the topic of gossip. So I want to go ahead and explain it to you. All right? The first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. What I think that this verse means is when someone is telling a story, all right, when someone's explaining a thing, a lot of times, if it's the first time you're hearing it, Whoever talks to you about it first, like their version of it is going to make it sound like they're right. If somebody tells you a story, hey, this is what happened, he said this, she said this, whatever, their version of the story, whatever version of the story it is you hear first, is the one that's going to seem right at first. Have you noticed this? Because what is very common is a person, when they explain what happened, whatever it was, they often will tell, they will often um, include the parts of the story that make them look good emphasize the parts of the story that make them look good, de-emphasize the parts of the story that make them look bad, or completely leave out the parts of the story that make them look bad. So that they end up telling you this, and, and they go, what do you think? And you're like, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> you're right. I mean, that's, and it's, I can't believe he did that. What a terrible person. I mean, especially considering all that you just said, why didn't he see you as the genius that you are? Right? Because, I mean, all that stuff you said right? The first to state his case seems right until what? Oh, until another comes and cross-examines him. Someone else comes and asks questions and goes, wait, what really happened? This I've seen lots of times over and over and over again. I've seen this especially in courtrooms, right? Not that I've been in a lot of courtrooms, but like TV courtrooms. I've seen a lot of TV courtrooms. <laughs> and on TV courtrooms, you often will see that the first lawyer gets up there and they make their case, and you're sitting there watching it, and you're going, oh, yeah, that guy's right, that guy's guilty. And then the second lawyer gets up and starts asking questions, and all of a sudden you go, ooh, I did not see that coming, and I did not know that, and I hadn't thought about it from that angle, and I didn't know that piece of information, and now I'm sitting there going, I don't know. I don't know if they're guilty or not. The first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. And so there's two sides to every story, and the reason I'm bringing this up under the topic of gossip is because it seems to me that most of the gossip I have ever like, experienced in my life is usually not someone going around town saying outright falsehoods, just making up stuff that didn't happen at all. I feel like that's very rare. Most of the time, it's somebody going around spreading half a story. That's almost what it is every single time, and a lot of damage is done when we act like half of a story is a whole story. And I've, I did this one time. I mean, I've probably done it more than one time, but there's a particular time that I can remember. I was, I think I was about 20 years old, and at the church that I was attending at the time, there was this woman that was there, and I was told she was bad. And I heard stories about her. 
multiple people told me she's bad. Um, she's falsely accusing people, and she's manipulating um, She's manipulating people, and she's doing all this stuff, and I heard this, like, even from people who were leaders, and so I heard this story, and I was like, oh, I believed it, right? Okay, well, if you say so, she's bad. And so they told me she was bad. I believed she was bad, and that was kind of the end of it, and I never talked to her again. I never went and got her side of the story. I was just told she was bad. She's evil. She did this, that, and I go, wow, that's crazy. So I just never, never talked to her again, never asked her for her side of the story. Well, then some time passed. I do not remember how long, but let's say it was like six months or nine months. And then we got a phone call. In the meantime, like during those six or nine months, if I remember correctly, I got married. And so the second part of the story takes place when I'm married. And the phone call comes to Heidi. So she calls my, the woman, the woman that I stopped talking to because everybody told me she was bad. She calls Heidi nine months later-ish. And, you know, we cut her out of our life, so she picks up the phone. Now, this is before cell phones, like, had a cord and everything. It was crazy. Okay, and so she picks up the phone, and then she puts her on hold, and she's like, what do I do? It's her, right? <laughs> she, may not, she may not have said it that way. I, I don't remember now. But anyway, but she was like, what do I do? It's her. And so I, now, I just got married. I think I was probably more brash than I am now. I was like, I'll take care of this. And I grabbed the phone, and I do not remember word for word what I said, but the gist of it was, don't call us, we'll call you. All right? If we want to have a relationship with you, we will initiate it. Until then, don't call us. And I hung up the phone, and I didn't think I was doing anything foolish. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Right? At the time, I thought I was protecting my wife from an evildoer. But when that kind of thing has been done to me, I did not like it. And maybe you've been in similar situations. Maybe you have passed along half of a story or heard half of a story and then made, like, you know, like acted on it. And at the time it happened, you thought that was fine. It was a great idea, right? But then one day when that was done to you, oh, it felt like a sin, right? When you were doing it, it felt great. When it was done to you, definitely felt like a sin. Remember? And so we've got to be careful. We've got to watch out for this. There are lots of ways to speak wrongly. Lying, bragging, laziness, harshness, meddling, gossip. And one reason that foolish words and sinful words, like one problem with them is that they cause harm. And in fact, I'm going to put up another list for you. Um, and this, this is three ways in which words can cause harm. Three ways that sinful and foolish words cause harm. And I just put them in these three categories. Personal, relational, and community. Personal harm, relational harm, and community harm. So let me just go through them one at a time. Personal harm. Proverbs 14.3 says, The proud speech of a fool brings a rod of discipline, but the lips of the wise protect them. You see what it's saying here? That the words that this guy speaks causes him to get hit, right? That there are certain foolish words you can say that cause you to get punished. Look at this one. A fool's mouth is his devastation, and his lips are a trap for his life. That's Proverbs 18.7. So I think the idea here is the foolish and sinful words that come out of our mouths can hurt us, us meaning the person who speaks the words. One of the damages that can be done with words is that it hurts the person who says them. But it's not just the person who says them. Look at the next category, relational. Proverbs 16.28 says, A contrary man spreads conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. I think the idea here is not just that his words are hurting himself. I think that his words are hurting other people's relationships. 
that other relationships get damaged with our wrong words. And then let's look at community and see how big this can get. Proverbs 11.11 says, A city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Isn't that incredible? Look at that. A city is torn down, but I want you to notice, it doesn't say the city is torn down by the wicked. It says it's torn down by the mouth of the wicked. Is that even possible that a mouth can tear down a city? Can a city be destroyed by words? I believe the answer is yes. Here's a quote from Ray Ortland. He's a pastor, I believe, in Nashville. In one of his books, he says, Much of the strife in our families and offices and dorms and churches and nations is because of foolish words, but we often underestimate the importance of our words. Adultery, for example, is perceived in most Bible-believing churches as a serious sin, and it is. But I've never seen adultery send a whole church into meltdown. Gossip, by contrast, is often perceived as a little sin, but it destroys churches. Isn't that true? Now, you can imagine if a church that has 500 people or 1,000 people or whatever is able to be destroyed with foolish words, then would it be hard to imagine that a city or a town that has 500 residents or 1,000 residents could be ruined with words? Because going back 1,000 years, 2,000 years, even 3,000 years ago, I would imagine there were plenty of cities or plenty of villages back then that had about 500 or 1,000 people in them. So if we can imagine a 1,000-person church being destroyed by foolish words, can't we imagine a 1,000-person city being destroyed by words? And once we understand a 1,000... Uh, a thousand-person city being destroyed by words. Isn't it possible that a hundred-thousand-person city could be ruined now that there's Twitter, right? And you can say so many things to so many people at the same time. And so we've looked at many Proverbs that cover foolish speech and wicked speech and the harm that it does. And I um, I think that if all that's true, and it is, should we then come to the conclusion like that talking is pretty much almost a bad idea? Right, if the Proverbs say so many times, talk about not using many words and not talking very much and all these ways that are bad and all the harm that it does, like should we just be silent as much as possible? Like is that the position of Proverbs that maybe we should just say like the bare minimum that's needed for survival? Things like, pass me the food, right? And and that's it. And I think the answer to that is no. Because the book of Proverbs also teaches us that words have the power to do good. Words have the power to do good. In fact, Proverbs is a collection of words for good. So I want to show you the, the positive side of this throughout the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 12:18. It says, There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, which we've talked about those kind of Proverbs already. But look at the second half. But the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. So there are words that are like a sword hurting people, but apparently there are other words that bring healing. We're supposed to use our words to heal. I think same topic, chapter 12, verse 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, right? But look, but a good, what's the word? Word. A good word cheers it up. That you can be burdened with anxiety, and sometimes this has happened to some of you, right? And then someone says some words that heal. 
Look at Proverbs 15.1. It says, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Now, we already looked at the second half of this verse, but let's focus on the first half this time. Right? We talked about how harsh words stir up wrath, but what turns away anger in this verse? I want you to notice, it's not silence. It doesn't say no speaking, right? It doesn't say silence turns away anger. It says a gentle answer turns away anger. Right? Silence does not always turn away anger, does it? Sometimes we even have a word for that called the silent treatment, where silence makes things worse. But in this case, it's not the silence that turns away anger. It says a gentle answer, calming words. Look at Proverbs 20, 15. It says, There is gold and a multitude of jewels, but knowledgeable lips are a rare treasure. And I assume the knowledgeable lips are supposed to speak the knowledge. And look at the next verse. Um, Chapter 16, verse 23 says, A wise heart instructs its mouth and increases learning with its speech. Now that's interestingly worded. But if someone has a wise heart that instructs their mouth and then they, they then utter speech that increases learning, that's a lot of words. But if you were going to sum that all up in one word, like what, is, what do we call it when someone uses speech that increases learning? Teaching. Teaching is a good use of words. Look at Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who have no voice. Now, this is definitely not a be silent proverb, right? Some of the Proverbs say be silent, but not this one. This is for a different occasion, apparently, right? Speak up. Open your mouth for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. Now, this is a different kind of proverb than all the other ones that I've had in this um, sermon because all the other ones, I think, are all from the middle of Proverbs where they're just all the individual ones. This one is from chapter 31. This is not found in like the individual Proverbs. This one is found in a section of the Bible, a section of Proverbs. Proverbs 31 has, it has two sections. And one of them is written to a king. And it's more long form Proverbs. And it says, this is what you are to do to be a good king. It was written to King Lemuel. And so what was told to King Lemuel, among other things, was this. Speak up for those who have no voice. Speak up and judge righteously. As the king, you need to defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. But I bring it up to you knowing that not anybody in this room is a king. I know that. But it seems to me that the the principle could very well apply to at least some of us. That if you are someone who has influence, you are to use it, you are to open your mouth and use it, especially for someone that nobody's listening to, and and, and there's there's an injustice that's happening, and somebody needs to say something. Sometimes you've get into a situation where you're the one that has influence and there's somebody out there and there's an injustice happening, but no one's listening to them. And you're looking at it and you're going, no one's listening to them, but they would listen to me. Well, that's a good time to use some words to speak up for those who have no voice. Look at Proverbs 25, verses 11 through 12. A word spoken at the right time is like gold apples on a silver tray. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. And then 9.8 says, Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Both of these are examples of words of correction, right? A, a, a wise correction can be given. You can rebuke someone and they will love you, right? There are, there, there, one good use of words is to correct people. Although it is interesting because when you look in these verses, you notice that it's not just every single correction. Like these verses do not make it sound like rebuking or correction is something that you should do to everybody all the time in every circumstance. Do you notice that? 
Because I know there are some people that are like, ooh, the Bible says to rebuke? I can do that. I can rebuke. I'm a pretty good at rebuking. Okay, but notice the verse does not assume that it should just be just shot out there everywhere at everybody. In this verse, it says a word. It doesn't say a corrective word, so maybe we're not supposed to assume that, but, but some word does. Spoken at the what? At the right time is like golden apples on a silver tray. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. And in this verse, it specifically says, don't rebuke a mocker, and then it follows it with rebuke a wise man. In other words, saying, hey, rebuke this guy, don't rebuke this guy. So corrective words are good, but you have to notice there's a right time and there's a right person that's assumed in these Proverbs. So to summarize, what does Proverbs teach us about words? Well, one thing we can say is, when in doubt, talk less. And when you do talk, use your words for good and not evil. When in doubt, talk less, but when you do use your words, you're to use them for good and not evil. I think that's a decent summary of what Proverbs says about words. And honestly, I think I could just close the sermon right here, except there's one problem. Like, there's a problem that remains. If I just get up here and I say, okay, so don't talk, and then when you do, though, make sure you do good talk, not bad talk. You, you, can, you, can you sense what the problem is with that? I'll, I'll give you a hint. Nobody does that. <laughs> no one does that. So I could get up here and say, here's the message of Proverbs. Use your words for good and not for evil. Hmm, isn't that wonderful? But the problem is nobody does that perfectly. So now what? Nobody uses their words for good. I mean, literally, this is a problem for all of humanity. Nobody uses their words for good and not evil consistently. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because of what we talked about last week, if you were here. We have a sin nature. You remember that last week when we looked at Ephesians chapter 2? We have a sin nature. We have natural inclinations toward evil. Look at what the New Testament says about this. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. The Apostle Paul is talking about the sinfulness of humanity, and look at what he says in Romans 3, starting in verse 10. He says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Clear enough? Yeah, he's kind of almost repetitive, isn't he? Nobody's good. We got it. Okay, nobody's good. Nobody's good. Nobody's good. Nobody's good. We got that. Now look at the next sentence after there is no one who does good, not even one. Next verse. I want you to notice how much this is about talking. I never noticed this, I don't think, until this week. Right after he says no one is good, he says in verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. He eventually does go on to other sins. But it is interesting that when the Apostle Paul thinks about the sinfulness of humanity and how everybody is a sinner, he starts off with words, 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 words over and over again. Jesus also talks about this in Matthew chapter 12. On one occasion, Jesus said this. This is Matthew 12, starting in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the what? The heart. So Jesus seems to be saying if you got a tree that's diseased, of course it produces diseased fruit. And you got a healthy tree, of course it produces healthy 
fruit. And then he's talking to these people and he goes, that's your problem. How can you speak good things? The stuff that you speak comes out of your heart. You have a bad heart. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Well, if we have bad hearts and inclinations toward evil and a sin nature, but we're supposed to use our words for good and not evil, well, goodness, what do we do? What do we do about our bad words? And so I want to give you two answers to that. I want to give one, one answer for non-Christians and one answer for Christians, because I think it's two, it's, there's two different things you're dealing with. So for those of you who are non-Christians, I would say this, turn to the God of the Bible as your God and get a renewed heart. And for those of you who are Christians, I would say this, live out the life of your king and his kingdom and reject the trappings of the old life and the old kingdom that you were once a part of. So let me explain what I mean by that, and I'm going to explain it by just talking a little bit about my own life, because in my own life, I've noticed that there are two types of change that I think have happened in my life. Maybe there's more, but I think there's two big ones, two, two ways in which I have experienced spiritual change for the better. And I would say one of those is, I, I, I wrote down, I wrote big directional change that happened about 25 years ago, and then slow, gradual change since then. So those are the two things that I experienced a big directional change about 25 years ago when I became a Christian. And then since then, over the next, the following 25 years, I've experienced some slow, gradual change, both of those being changes in my spiritual life. So the big directional change about 25 years ago is when I became a Christian. I was in North Carolina at the time, as best as I can tell. I was there and I, I became a Christian. I switched gods is what I did. Like I, and I don't know for sure, but I think my previous god was me. And then I decided to follow the God of the Bible. That's really, I think, when I began to worship and live for Jesus. And that was a big directional change. What I mean is, like, I was going in a, in, a, in a direction, and then I came to know Jesus, and I started going in a completely different direction, and my life's not been the same since. And later on that year, I even came across uh, this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I memorized it in a different translation than the one I use now. But that's the verse. And I realized, like, whoa, that happened to me. There was a time where I was going in a direction and then, whoop, going in a different direction. There was a big directional change. But then that wasn't it. That's not, like, the one thing I've got to tell you about. It's not like there was this one moment of change. It's like, and then after that, I never sinned again. Like, that's not my story. There was a huge directional change. And then after that, it has been followed by 25 years of step, 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 Little change, little change, little change, to the point that I can look back at my life now and really point out two different things. I can point out that there was a before and an after, back around 1994, where my life changed because I became a Christian. But I can also say that now that I look at my life and I look at these past 25 years, I can also say, like, I'm not the same man I was 20 years ago. I'm not the same man I was 15 years ago. I'm not the same man I was 10 years ago. Because God has continued to change me. Now, I tell you both of those things, and by the way, those things, the theological terms for them, like theologians, the big directional change, is usually, theologians usually call that regeneration, and um, most of the time, it seems to me, people describe the step-by-step -step gradual change, they call that sanctification. So regeneration and sanctification. So I say that because that should help now that I'm going to tell you what do we do about our bad words. So if you're not a Christian, you need a new heart. You need to switch gods. You need to switch from whatever, whoever your God is, whether it's 
Allah or your career or your wife or your success in life or your money and turn to the God of the Bible. You have to switch gods and accept Jesus into your life. The God of the Bible is the one who sent Jesus Christ to this earth, God in a body who lived for us a sinless life. He said all the right words and then died on the cross, not for his own sins because he didn't have any, died on the cross for every wrong word we've ever spoken and every wrong thing we've ever done. And he rose again from the grave and he ascended to heaven and he's coming back. And in the meantime, he offers. You can come to him. You can accept him as your Lord and as your Savior. And he saves you from hell and for heaven. And he gives you a new heart. He gives you his spirit. Now, let's say you're a Christian. As I imagine, there's probably several of you in the room, right? Several people in this room, they say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, Mario, and so what do I do? Because I feel like that already happened. I did believe in Jesus. I do believe in Jesus. I was changed, but like, I still struggle with this. I'm a Christian, but I still brag. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, but what do I do with the fact that I still struggle with lying? I still struggle with harshness in my speech. And I would say to you, this is what I leave you with. I think that bad words are emblems of our former selves. And good words are emblems of our new selves. So we recognize that. We recognize who we were. We recognize who we are now. And we throw off the old and we put on the new. I mean, one way to say it is this. You've left the kennel. Now get the dog hair off of you. You left the kennel. You're not there anymore. The dog hair that's on you needs to go because that's just signs of where you once were. That's not where you are now. And I'm using this metaphor for a purpose because I think it's pretty decent. I'm sure they all break down somewhere. But the thing I like about this one is <laughs> if you're in a kennel, wiping the dog hair off of you doesn't get you out of the kennel, right? It does not. But once you're out of the kennel, that's the time to get the dog hair off of you because you're out of there now. And similarly, acting Christianly doesn't save you, doesn't make you a Christian, doesn't rescue you from judgment. But once you are saved from where you were, you now live in line with where you are now. You now are to live in line with who you are now. And you must. God got you out of there for a reason. And so if you have more concerns about this, meaning you're a Christian going, yeah, what is, what, how do I make sure if I really am a believer in Jesus Christ that I am changing? And so if you have more concerns, I just wanted to encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, and just keep on reading into chapter 5. Because that's a section of the Bible that's written to believers on the topic of no longer living like unbelievers, but instead walking in God's ways. And the gist of those chapters, if you look it up, to me it seems like what those chapters or those verses assume is that as Christians, we are able to do what we used to do. But we are also able to not do what we used to do. And God's new ways are our new ways now. 
And so the emphasis of this particular sermon is that it is God's will that we talk in new ways. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. God, thank you. I pray that you would use these words and your words and your spirit in our lives. I pray that if there's anybody in here who does not yet know you, that they would come to know you today. That you would give them the gift of your spirit and they would walk in newness of life. I can't imagine where I'd be had you not done that for me. And so I pray that for my friends in this room and strangers in this room that don't know you yet. I pray they would do their part, that they would trust in you, that they would put you on the, the throne of their life or in the control room of their life or how, whatever the right metaphor is, but that you would be their God and you'd be their Lord and you'd be the Savior that they trust in. And I pray for those of us who are, that we already belong to you. Pray you'd help us to live in your new ways. I mean, the Bible seems to be clear it's like possible for us to still sin, and we do. But you've given us the ability to, to walk away from that. And I think probably increasingly more so as we continue to walk with you. So I pray you'd help us with that too, and I pray that we would do our part in that as well. We would guard our mouth for you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.